This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into another episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. My name is Jacob Rudner alongside Swamp 247 staff writer and my co-host, Graham Hall. And Graham, uh, this is a very exciting episode because after a long wait, it is finally preview time for a game Florida taking on Utah at home this Saturday, 7 p.m. Eastern time in the Swamp. Uh, it's going to be humid. It's going to be hot. There could be rain, but there will be football. And you and I are here to preview that game. Uh, I'll start with this. This is exciting. It's it's football time. Tell me how you're doing, how you're feeling, uh, ready to go. I think fans, us, got a lot to look forward to. Absolutely. You know, this is heading into my eighth season covering the team. That is a whole lot of football games. I think I've spent more than 50 now on the sideline at Florida or up in the press box, excuse me, covering the Florida games. And man, there is nothing comparable to the mix of heat, humidity, and 90,000 screaming fans. I am excited for it. I think you and I, we know what to expect from a fan standpoint, a weather standpoint. What really I think you and I, and we're going to break this down here today, are a little bit unsure of is how Florida fares against this Utah team that has a lot of returning aspects that are promising, as well as a lot of unknowns that we think Florida may be able to take advantage of here. That is where I'm really, really intrigued, what those 60 minutes of football look like. Because unlike you, my friend, I know what to expect at Florida Field, at Ben Hill Griffin Stadium. It is your first game here in Gainesville. I'm excited for you to experience it, and I I know you have uh, similar feelings. Yeah, no, there's no doubt. I I mean, there have been plenty of... uh subscribers over on swamp 247 on the message board and by the way if you're if you're not participating in that i i actively encourage you to uh got a massive community of florida fans passionate florida fans uh and i can honestly tell you that you're missing out if you're not a part of it but uh i have had plenty of people tell me that for my first game in the swamp uh i should take a moment to kind of soak it all in with a sellout uh just you know the uh the environment generated in Gainesville on game days, I've heard is a very special thing. So I look forward very much, uh, even even more perhaps than the game itself, I look forward to observing uh, just what this community and this city turns into on a Saturday. That is very exciting to me. Uh, and no better Saturday, in my opinion, to, uh, to experience that first game than this one particularly. Florida's taking on the number seven team in the nation, uh, the Utah Utes defending Pac-12 champions. They went to the Rose Bowl where they narrowly lost to Ohio State in a back-and-forth riveting battle. Uh, and as you said, this is an interesting matchup because there are a lot of people out there who would tell you that Florida is going to potentially even win this game. There are a lot of people out there who feel as though Utah is an overrated team at number seven in the country, uh, whether that be because of the competition they face in the Pac-12 uh, or what. There are plenty of reasons that people have offered. I, however, think that this will be a very difficult game. Uh, And what we're going to do, Graham, is we're going to break this down by section, by uh, phase, as some people like to say within football. We're going to go offense, defense, and special teams, as well as discussing how Florida matches up against each of those things. And granted, you can expect that 
from us every week before a game on this preview podcast, which will come out on Thursdays. Uh, and I say without further ado, let's jump right into it. This Utah offense was potent last season. They ranked 14th in the nation in scoring, uh, just over 36 points per game. We're also extremely productive on the ground last season with a rusher over 100, uh, excuse me, over 1,100 yards. Uh, it's a very good offense. It's a disciplined team. They have shown over the last several years that they can move the ball in a variety of ways. Uh, last year, I think we saw them pass a little bit more than they had in recent seasons, and it went exceptionally well uh, with a guy at quarterback like Cameron Rising who can kind of do everything. Uh, tell me, Graham, what stands out to you about this Utah offense? What should Florida uh, and its fans be wary of as the teams take the field on Saturday evening? Yeah, it's that rushing attack. I think that you look at Tavion Thomas, you look at the guys around him, they're going to disperse the ball well, and they're going to establish the run. And when you look at some of the weaknesses of Florida's defense, you look at the interior of the defensive line, the questions there at nose tackle, where you have um, your linebackers at currently, two guys in Ventral Miller and Amari Bernie who missed time throughout preseason camp despite being veterans, I think that there certainly may be a situation that Utah is trying to take advantage of, um, and that's going to be one of their strengths, the ground game. And I think that that is where Florida fans need to be a little bit wary. If you can make Cameron pass, Cameron Rising, excuse me, establish the, establish the pass, and you can shut down the run game, I really think you take a lot of the dynamicism out of this this Utah offense, so to speak. I think that you actually can, if you can make them one dimensional, that is something that I think will give Florida a huge chance of actually getting a positive result in this game. The other thing I have to mention is this is something where I think the two teams are going to be very similar, but maybe in terms of the usage will differ the use of two tight end personnel on the field. That's going to be something that you're going to see out of the Utes and something you're going to see out of the Gators, how well Florida is able to kind of, cover their own bread and butter, so to speak, is a huge, a huge point of contention for me right now. I'm, I'm really looking at the tight ends and the running backs right now as the ways that this Utah team can come into the swamp and, and beat Florida. Yeah, absolutely. I would agree with that. Let's, let's compartmentalize this a little further. Let's, let's look at that run game quickly. This is a run game that, that Utah has really based its entire offense off of uh, for the last you know, more than a decade. Kyle Whittingham is going into his 19th season in charge of the Utes, uh, the longest tenured uh, Pac-12 head coach actively. Uh, and, and he has not shied away from the run game. It is the basis for everything that they do. The play actions that they set up, uh, the design quarterback runs last year that made them so successful were a byproduct of a successful run game. Uh, and, and, and a lot of that has to do with a guy like Tavion Thomas, who's the leading running back uh, for this team. This is a big hard-nosed, six-foot-two, 238-pound back. Uh, he's mean between the tackles. He knows how to fight through contact. Uh, he allows Utah to advance the football rather uncreatively, I would say. And that's not a negative thing. But this is the kind of situation where you put the ball in his hands and he is able to just plow through defenders by going straight forward. Uh, and a guy like that matters because he doesn't require a lot of, of, of things to happen around him. Uh, he's able to move when there isn't a whole bunch of space created. And to me, that's particularly significant in a game like this where there are a lot of people who I think would would somewhat accurately tell you that Florida should be able to out-physical Utah in certain capacities. They have the SEC bodies, uh, a lot of bigger guys on the offensive front, and granted, a lot of smaller guys on the defensive front for Utah. They have 
you know, a couple of defensive tackles who, who clock in well under 300 pounds. Uh, it's just far smaller than really anything that the Gators should see throughout the remainder of their schedule, save for those two FCS games. Uh, this is, it, it's a smaller team and, and they're quick. You know, it's, it's a good pass rush. It's a good rushing defense. It's actually something that they've really kind of cut their teeth on the last couple of years is the ability to stop the run. Uh, but, but this is kind of a situation where the, the size of the players uh, is different. And so to have a guy like Tavion Thomas in the fold who can run up the middle and potentially kind of eliminate some of that size disadvantage where, you know, Utah's offensive linemen might not be able to move bodies the way that they can in the Pac-12. Tavion Thomas is able to bridge that gap a little bit with his ability to run guys over. Now, they also have a second running back in Michael Bernard who's able to do kind of the opposite thing. Doesn't operate as well between the tackles. Does a really good job in space. Is speedier, kind of shiftier running back. Uh, and he should spell Thomas quite nicely in this game. I think it's going to be interesting to see how Florida counters the run. Is this something that's going to require a lot of attention to detail from Amari Bernie and Ventral Miller in the middle at that linebacker position. Because again, like you mentioned, and we'll get back into it, uh, this is a Utah team with two excellent tight ends that are used in a variety of ways, and it will put the onus to perform on Florida's linebackers. Tell me a little bit about that battle that's going to have to go on in the heads of Florida's middle linebackers, you know, between choosing to protect against the run, but also to stay wary of the fact that there are threats that they will have to deal with in the passing game. Yeah, you have a lot of guys that I think are going to be tested when it comes to setting the edge for Florida this year. Because if you go back and look last year, outside handoffs, counters repeatedly affected this Florida defense. And, and while a lot of that was that they didn't have Ventro Miller back for those final 10 games and Amari Bernie was you know, able to do a lot of things well, but he often found himself out of position and unable to make the tackle if they can improve when it comes to stopping outside handoffs, shutting down counters, I think that absolutely that's a factor that Utah didn't see on film. If they were preparing for Florida based off of the personnel and how they were used last year and how they performed last year, I think that they may be in for a rude awakening with how Florida has progressed in that regard. And obviously that's a benefit of the scheme. A guy like Brenton Cox Jr. is going to be asked to pick up a lot of those things, dissect what the other team is doing, and then communicate that to the rest of the linebackers. If he's able to do that, if Ventro Miller is back to this role as the vocal guy in the middle for Florida, and they're able to pick up some of these things in the line of scrimmage and shut them down, that's going to be huge for not only Florida's in-game performance against the Utes, but for the long-term prognosis of Florida's defensive ceiling. I think a lot of people have heard the rumors throughout fall camp that Florida's defense has consistently been ahead of the offense, has made plays against the offense. And you can definitely get the sense right now that that may be an indictment of the offense, or you could come out here and think that it shows how much this defense has benefited from the changes under Patrick Tony, the scheme, obviously, and getting Ventrell back, getting a bunch of experienced guys back, Bernie, you name it. Um, I, I think a lot of people want to believe if they're Florida fans that it's the latter, that they're going to be able to make all these changes and have the same personnel and have much more success. We will be able to, I think, see that with how Florida fares against Utah's running game. And I'm not saying they need to come out here and shut down the Utes completely, but if you can limit these guys and show that you've made strides in this first game, that will, I think, be more reassuring in a sense than 
whether this game is decided by a couple of plays or they allow a few big runs to happen. Those things are going to happen. But if Florida can show that they can, you know, shut them down moving forward and, and build off of that game, and that's going to, I think, be very encouraging for a lot of people. Yeah, let's let's talk about that passing game that Florida will also have to almost certainly contend with uh, throughout this contest. Of course, you know, weary of the run, but Florida, Utah, excuse me, proved last year that it is not just a running team, uh, that it can have plenty of success by moving the ball through the air. Uh, again, Cameron Rising was fantastic last year, just under 2,500 passing yards. 20 touchdowns against just five interceptions uh, is an active runner. He can scramble, you know, moves well, generally accurate quarterback. And I think the thing that really enables that success, and this is something that you had mentioned a couple minutes ago, are those tight ends. Uh, Brant Keithy and Dalton Kincaid, two very experienced guys who have a lot of reps in this Utah offense. They know what they're doing. Uh, the biggest thing with these guys is they are very versatile in their alignments, particularly Keithy. Uh, these are a, a pair of tight ends who can align flexed out like wide receivers. They run wide receiver type routes. Uh, these are athletic guys who are far bigger than your average receiver, which puts a lot of pressure on opposing defenses, especially in the secondary where you could have a slot corner matched up with a tight end. And so you immediately give the size advantage to a Utah team that moves the ball down the field very quickly. They don't need plays to develop over a long period of time. And that's a great way to be able to take an opposing team's pass rush out of the game, especially, by the way, if Florida is able to just out-physical Utah along the line of scrimmage, I think it will become very interesting to see how the Gators defend against these two tight ends. Keithy, fantastic last year in that kind of, you know, lineup as a receiver, lineup in the slot, uh, you know, you line up in, a, in an attached uh, traditional tight end positioning. Uh, he was very good in Kincaid despite being slightly less versatile, is also an excellent pass catcher and has been now for several years. Uh, I think that that actually, as far as Utah's offense goes, whether or not they're able to be successful through the air by utilizing those tight ends will be the key to the game. Uh, you know, we, we were going to go through keys to the game later on in the podcast, but I'll jump the gun here slightly. Uh, those tight ends, I think, are it. Uh, if, if Utah can get those guys rolling, I think it's going to be very difficult for the Gators to stop. Uh, and, and then there's rising. Let's talk about Cameron rising specifically for a second. What threat in your opinion, obviously as a passer, he has weapons that he can go to and he's got a good arm, but what, what kind of threat does it pose to this Florida defense? It's first under Patrick Tony. When you have a guy who's athletic, like rising on the other sideline, uh, you know, you have to deal with the threat of him running the ball of him handing the ball off or the ability, obviously to, to, to pass it. Yeah, there's definitely what you just said, the threat of picking up what he's going to do. But also you face a quarterback who not only has more in-game experience than Anthony Richardson, but has more familiarity with the offensive system as a whole and therefore knows how to change the play at the line of scrimmage correctly to adjust off of what the defense is doing and take advantage of that. And whether Florida is at a place right now where they are as comfortable with their defensive scheme and picking up things that, that Utah likes to do on offense. I think that that remains to be seen. I mean, if you are talking about who has the cerebral advantage right now, I would give it to rising and, and that, you know, that Utah rushing attack, because I think that they are a little bit more comfortable in the system that they are in. And that comfortability I think can lead to you taking a little bit more risks and I think Utah is going to do that. Whether Florida jumps the gun and, and and bites off a little more than they can chew, in a sense, and Utah takes advantage, the versatility of rising 
is his greatest attribute along with his intelligence. The way that he can beat you in many aspects, that, that is something that is hard to prepare for. And, and obviously Pac-12 opponents saw that last year when they faced him. It, it's that versatility combined with his intelligence and Florida's defense is going to have to be on its P's and Q's or else he knows how to take advantage of you when you think that you've got him figured out. Absolutely. And I, and I said it a second ago, but I think that this is the game for Florida's linebackers to win or lose. I think that their performance in this could very well dictate the outcome. I think that if Ventro Miller and Amari Bernie can, can stay on their cues, can defend the tight ends, uh, you know, or at least assist in the defense of the tight ends in a way that allows them to be somewhat limited. If Ventro Miller and Amari Bernie can, you know, be that force in the middle that limits to a degree Utah's ability to progress the ball forward via the run. I actually think that that could be the key to victory for Florida if they are to slow down uh, this Utah offense. Uh, I'm curious, what what do you think is the defensive key uh, for this Florida team? I obviously went with the linebackers before we move on uh, to the other side of the ball. I I got to take Maybe that is kind of a cop-out in a sense. This is a Florida defense that needs to find a way to get off the field. I think that Utah is going to look to establish the run and eat up possession time. And when you're running an offense that is as run heavy as the one Florida wants to utilize, you can tend to want to go out there and rush things a little bit when you just gave up a, a seven-minute possession. Florida's defense either needs to get stops on third and short or they need to find a way to come up with some takeaways. And, and we've talked about this a lot. The usage of five defensive backs should improve their chances of doing that as long as they are able to stop the run and they don't have to stack the box here and and then they open themselves up to getting beat. I think that if Florida can stop the run with their front seven and and be able to drop into coverage and get some takeaways here, you know, I'm using their term takeaways rather than turnovers, that is, I think, a game-changing aspect. And maybe that's a cop-out in a sense because we've talked about this, that the team that wins the takeaway battle, more often than not, I mean, more than 65% of the time, is going to win the game. And obviously there, there are exceptions here, and you don't want to then go out there and have your offense start turning it over. But if Florida can find a way to get some momentum through their defense, that has the ability to give the offense a lot more confidence because you're playing on the heels of a unit that has given you really a free possession in a sense that you can go out there and take those risks that maybe as a, a team with a new coach and a, a fresh starter aren't as willing to take otherwise when they've just been scored on and are looking for an answer. So I think that Florida will be able to play a little bit more loose and with a lot more momentum. If the defense can even manage to, to get some fluke takeaways, you know, in years past, we saw Jervon Dexter in his collegiate debut come up with an interception. I mean, a defensive tackle came up with an interception on a batted ball at the line of scrimmage and, while that play was his lone, you know, takeaway for the rest of the year, that was a situation where he personally benefited from the confidence of, of having a tangible impact like that and just kind of took off from there. Florida has a lot of unproven defensive players as well. So if they can get some takeaways here, that is going to give the individual members of, of the defense a whole lot of confidence as well. I, I really think that in terms of impact plays that they can make in the game, that is up there at the top. Yeah, let's let's actually talk about defense now. We'll move to to the Utes' uh, defensive scheme. It's a more traditional look. Four three scheme uh, has been very successful in recent seasons. Uh, they generate a whole bunch of pressure on opposing quarterbacks. They do a phenomenal job of stuffing the run. Uh, they have been good 
in pass coverage as well and, and obviously do, a, do a, a good enough job at limiting opposing team scoring in order to be as successful as they've been. Uh, the big thing that sticks out to me, Graham, about this, this Utah defense is discipline. They are on their marks when they need to be. Uh, it is a, a not heavily, traditionally, it is not a heavily penalized unit. Uh, they are all on the same page, and I think a lot of that is a byproduct of just the consistency that has been in Salt Lake City from a coaching standpoint. Uh, the same defensive coordinator now for a number of years. This is a tougher defense, I think, than people give it credit for. Uh, and I find it easy to overlook due to some of you know those size uh, questions in its defensive front where they have a listed starter who's at defensive tackle who's 277 pounds. Uh, these are the kinds of things, obviously, I think people can look at and at fairly you know, say, what's the challenge here? These are smaller guys. But this is a quick defense that doesn't miss its marks very often. And I think that that bridges a lot of the gap that perhaps some of the size and raw athletic ability uh, might create. So what what are your standout features about this Utah defense? How do you think it fares uh, going up into the season? Yeah, I do think it's going to be a challenge for Florida to establish the run and how devoted they are to doing that, I, I think will be indicative of what we are going to expect to see the rest of the season. You know, I could see a situation where Florida comes out and tries to run the ball three straight times to pick up a first down on that opening series. That is going to be, I think, a huge battle. The Florida rushing attack and obviously the protection against this Utah defensive line. Uh, very aggressive, maybe a little bit undersized, but very athletic. And most importantly, they know what they're doing. They, they have a simplified task. They don't have to do too much. And they know the assignments of everyone around them. And when you're facing a unit that that's playing with that much confidence, often that does outweigh any talent differentials that may be there in the game. And I know that Florida fans certainly want to believe that there are ways that they are more talented than this Utah team that has the experience, has maybe the athleticism even. But I, I get the sense here that if Florida can establish the run, given what Utah has at linebacker, and I do think that there are some questions about their defensive back depth, I think that if Florida can establish the run, open up play action, and really have a chance to take advantage of some one-on-one -on -one matchups in the passing game, the size that they have at wide receiver, the, the tight ends that they have, um, I think one of them can be a, a mismatch, certainly. And then Dante Xanders, I think, can be an impressive target for Florida this season and someone who I think will be targeted a good bit. If Florida can establish the run, that opens up a whole lot of, of opportunities um, to take advantage of this Utah defense. But if they struggle to establish the run against the Utes, I, I think that this is going to be a scenario where Utah can absolutely capitalize and take advantage of Anthony Richardson's in-progress um, progression. Let me just call it that. You know, this is a guy that still has some work to do. His sample size was not huge last year, and some people will certainly say that there was a lack of direction on offense, but he did have – Five interceptions last year. There were some misfires that I know he would like to have back. A good defense can make those happen at a higher rate. And for Florida, the last thing that they want to do is put Richardson in his home debut in a situation where he's going out there and forcing anything. They need to establish the run so that they can really get into the wrinkles of this offense and have him get out and run, establish play action, and do a lot of the things that they've worked on throughout fall camp and back in spring. 
If they can establish the run, though, against this Utah defense, it's going to be, I think, a very tough night for the Gators. And it does start with that Utah defensive line. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I'll go back to the point I made before I, I threw it to you there. I think that this is one of those situations where Florida will have to match the level of discipline. This is going to be a situation where I, I trust me, I totally understand that there is a size discrepancy between what Florida will put out there offensively and what Utah will put out there defensively. I get it. I, I've seen the comments. I hear you. Uh, people will comment about it on this video on YouTube. There will certainly be comments about it over at swamp247.com on our message board. And that's okay. I understand. But I still recognize where a team is extremely disciplined. Whereas where a, a team does an excellent and very consistent, I should add, job of capitalizing on what its strengths are. You and I have talked about this before. You know, know your strengths and play to them. Utah does that. And that, again, that's a byproduct of familiarity between the coaches and the players. That's a byproduct of familiarity between the players and the scheme that they're required to run. And they know how to be successful within that. So yes, there is a, a discrepancy between the size of what Florida will put out there on the field on average and what Utah will put out on the field on average, 100%. Do I think that that, at the end of the day, do I think that that is a determining factor in and of itself? I don't. I, I, I think that this is one of those things that will require Florida not to bully uh, the opposing team in terms of just, we are going to big brother, you know, this is, this is going to be a brute force win. That sometimes works. I don't think it will in this instance. I think that you will have to be technically sound. Billy Napier seemingly feels the same way. We spoke to him this week, and at one point he said that, quote, he said execution will win this game. So I think that there's a, an understanding within Florida's locker room, based on what we heard from the players and head coach, that you know this is not a game that they're going to be able to brute force their way to a win in. This is one of those situations where they will have to match the level of discipline and intensity and you know, just making sure that you're doing everything as perfectly as possible, and it should play a factor throughout this contest. And I find that to be a particularly interesting uh, storyline uh, between the matchup of Florida's offense and that Utah defense. Uh, similar to the offensive section, I'll ask you, Graham, what, what does Florida's offense need to do besides maybe execution? So whether that's run game or getting Anthony Richardson going in a certain capacity or, or style, uh, what what do the Gators need to do when they have the ball in their hands to be able to win this game? Yeah, I'll say two real quick here. Minimize turnovers, like I just alluded to. Anthony Richardson can't go out there and be off the mark. I mean, that's forgivable. You're going to throw some passes that you'd like to have back, could have thrown better. But making the wrong decision, that would, I think, be extremely disconcerting, not only for Florida fans, but for Billy Napier, considering you've set this guy up, given him full time to be the starter. I don't think that's personally going to happen. Let me say that. But that would be absolutely one of the worst case scenarios. If you have a guy who is just struggling with making the right read, making the right decision at this point, given his dynamic potential, given his considerable ceiling, if he's struggling with that aspect of it, I think it's just going to be really uh, a disappointing thing. Let's say that because that's a basic that you need to be able to do if you really can reach the heights that a lot of people are already expecting Richardson to reach. And, you know, I don't even want to be cruel here when I say this, but Florida on offense can't go out and commit 
penalties at a high rate. We wrote about this repeatedly. They brought in SEC officials throughout fall camp. They were there Friday. They were there Saturday. They answered questions. Florida has talked often about undisciplined penalties. Billy Napier hasn't shied away from the past. He said it was an issue. They need to work on it. He has been very adamant that that is something that cannot happen. With how much work they've put into it, if they go out there and have some undisciplined penalties or just lazy technique, I think that that would be, I think, very not only undoing to Florida in the short term, but it would really, I think, fly in the face of the ways that Billy Napier has prioritized this team's progression. Because there was a sense that one of the things holding Florida back, not just last year, but in several years, was the fact that they ranked 120th in penalties. I mean, nearly eight per game. A lot of those were on offense. If they weren't on offense, there were a lot of you know undisciplined penalties. And I'm not even just talking about the 2020 shoe throw. I think that you can make a case that undisciplined penalties were pervasive in Florida's program throughout the Dan Mullen era. And they need to show that that's indicative of a former time, a previous regime, and not necessarily the personnel in the building. You can't have undisciplined personnel. You need to fully believe and show that that was a product of the previous environment and you've moved on from that. And if they rear their head or Florida blows the game and allows you know, a game-winning field goal, like, you know, I hate to bring back up 2020 versus LSU, that would, I think, just be very uh, difficult because then it comes down to the same problems rearing their head that were undoing for Florida in the past. Absolutely. I I will uh, now shift us over to a a part of the field that absolutely matters. It doesn't get talked about enough. Uh, Let's talk special teams. This was a strength for Utah in certain capacities last year. Kicking? Not one of them. Punting was fine. Uh, this year, you know, those those two areas are, are TBD. But uh, last year, Utah was exceptional when it came to kick and punt returns. And a lot of that is to do with former Utah wide receiver Britton Covey, who has now moved on to the professional ranks. He's no longer at the college level. Uh, and that has created a very interesting situation uh, in the returner roles for the Utes. Last year, they benefited off of it greatly. Uh, I would go as far as to say that you know Covey's ability to return, even if it wasn't a score every single time, which obviously it wasn't, made an impact on how things unfolded. As Billy Napier said, field position is important. Uh, Kyle Whittingham, like Billy Napier, clearly spends a lot of time focusing uh, on that aspect. Is this a place... I mean, Florida doesn't have starting kickers named yet, is this kind of an area of concern for both teams? Are we waiting to kind of see what we're going to get from both sides in, in regards to special teams? What, where, where are things at here? Well, I get the sense that right now with, with Florida, they kind of have just as much of a return quandary as Utah. I mean, you're relying on an unproven guy in either Jamarcus Weston or Trevor Etienne or your starting corner in Jason Marshall. And you really don't know how good those guys can be. The benefit that Utah has is that they have a high standard at the position. They know what to expect. And if you can't live up to this, they're going to find someone else who can do that. Florida really can't say the same. They really haven't had the same level of success. I think there was a little bit of um, frustration from the fan base when they saw that Xavier Henderson was going to work in both return roles because he really, you know, 
is a little bit bigger than I think a lot of people would like for the return role, even though, you know, he does have great size and, and hands and vision. I think that certainly there are a few points that you could make about how the guy isn't really your, a desirable returner. We don't know if that's the case for Utah, but they do have recent history to make you think that he's going to be a threat in the return game. Jeremy Crawshaw is huge in this regard, in my mind. This is a guy who we have spent the last year talking about not only his improvements, but his veteran leadership, the accountability aspect of special teams, where whether it's the gunner getting down the field, the guy blocking who rarely gets an opportunity, they need to have cohesive and dominant special teams play. And that does start with your punter setting that standard, showing that they would do whatever it takes to maximize that aspect for the team. And I think that Crawshaw has done that, whether it's holding players accountable, talking about the work that they have to do and being honest in his own shortcomings. I mean, he kind of was making a joke the other day about how he needs to work on kicking off and how he's always evaluating uh, what he can do better in a sense. And then you saw it last year, a guy who would be willing to put his body on the line for what a 29 yard fake punt. So I think that if you have a special teams unit that holds everyone to a high standard, that is your best bet. We know that Utah has that in recent years and whether Florida has that from their punt team and in the return game, I think is a huge question mark. And that's even before Jacob getting into this huge question at kicking. You know, I mentioned that LSU sh shoe throw and, you know, everyone remembers that. But what they do forget is that Cade York then turned around and hit a 57-yard field goal in the fog, a special teams play won that game ultimately, even though everyone talks about the undisciplined penalties, you have a, a chance every single time to have game-changing special teams plays, whether it's a return guy breaking free through a touchdown or a guy hitting a monster kick over 55 yards. That is something that consistently wins games for teams, and I think that there's a huge question whether Florida has that because you haven't really heard anything solid about the return game and then there's this battle at kicker aside from the long snapper and Crawshaw, a lot of it is unknown for Florida. There you go. I, uh, I have nothing more to add. I think that was very eloquently said with regard to special teams, uh, important, but not much to say there. Uh, and that will move us away necessarily from the, uh, game breakdown. We hope that you enjoyed that and might maybe learn something new. If you want to learn more, uh, about what this Utah team is looking like, you can head on over to swamp247.com where we have our first look. Uh, that is the name of the story where I broke down uh, Utah's offense, defense, and special teams. There's over 3,000 words of Utah preview there for you to enjoy. Uh, and I recommend taking a look at that if you want to learn more about the schematics and, and some of the function uh, that will go on in this game, a little bit of that on-field chess match. Uh, let's do the fun stuff now, though. We are going to move into our brand new a Swamp 247 podcast segment. This will be a weekly competition called Select the SEC, where Graham and I will go back and forth uh, making predictions straight up and against the spread for every single SEC game. Uh, I will catch everybody up, though, and, and I will add this. This is a whole staff game. So Graham and I are the ones on the podcast, but uh, our recruiting analyst, Blake Alderman, and intern, uh, Carson Cashin, are also participating in this, and I will uh, announce the standings uh, at the outset of this segment once a week. Uh, and right now, only one game. Vanderbilt Hawaii is the only one that we've had to predict so far. Our entire staff correctly predicted that Vanderbilt would win that game, uh, which they did. So we are all 1-0 straight up. Against the spread, that's not the case. Vanderbilt was a 9.5-point favorite. Uh, Graham, you 
myself and Blake picked uh, Hawaii to cover that nine and a half point spread. They did not, not even close as a matter of fact, uh, losing 63 to 10, meaning the only person in the win column right now against the spread is the intern. Carson is uh, is the one to know on the betting line so far. And we'll see, Graham, if you and I can uh, change that this week and maybe maybe get ahead of the uh, ahead of the old intern. Uh, let's do it. Let's let's jump right in. The way that this works, I'm going to read every single game uh, on the SEC slate for the week. I will give you the game straight up uh, and the spread for that contest, and you will let me know uh, who you think wins it and whether or not that team will cover the line. And we will start with Tennessee Ball State. We're recording this on Thursday. It's about 2:52 uh, in the afternoon. This game kicks off in just a couple hours. Tennessee Ball State Volunteers are a 35-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, who you got winning straight up? And then talk about that line for me. I got Tennessee winning straight up. 35-and-a-half um, points. Wow. That is massive. Put some respect on Ball State's name. You know, I think that Tennessee, their defense has a little bit of work to do, but I do think they win this game comfortably. 35 points, though. Um I kind of want Ball State to cover. Okay. So Graham's going to go Tennessee wins straight up. Ball State covers that 35 and a half point spread. Also, if you're wondering where we're getting the spread, uh, we're going on to the ESPN app. It's very simple. Just go to ESPN, uh, sort the college football games by SEC. On the right-hand side, there should be a list of the spreads. It's a consensus spread. That is my understanding. Uh, And that's what we're picking from. I'm going to go with Tennessee to win and cover this game. It's a huge line. Uh, but I like Tennessee uh, a lot this season. I think Hendon Hooker is a talented quarterback who should be able to blow a team like Ball State out of the water. Uh, let's move on to Missouri against Louisiana Tech. Missouri is your home team and favored by 20 and a half points uh, tonight, Thursday at 8 p.m. I'm going to go with Missouri. But once again, I am going to pick Louisiana Tech to cover. So Missouri to win that game, Louisiana Tech is going to cover the spread. Okay, I uh, will agree with you on this one. I'm going to go Missouri straight up, Louisiana Tech against the spread. We're just going to keep on chugging here. Uh, This week and probably a couple more times throughout the season, there are no lines for certain games, and this is an example of that. Uh, Texas A&M against Sam Houston does not have a line on the ESPN app. Therefore, we will only pick it in the straight-up category. Uh, I think I can just speak for both of us. We're both going to go with number six, Texas A&M. Uh, let's move on to Georgia, Oregon dogs favored by 17 points. Uh, and they are the home team who you got. I'm going to go with Georgia. Um, and I think that they are going to cover against Oregon. This may be a neutral site location, but it's still being played in the state of Georgia. You know how well they travel. If you're a Florida fan, you saw it last year in Jacksonville, they're going to make their way to Atlanta. That is going to be a game that Georgia, the defending national champion, even though they don't have as good of a defense as they did last year, they got Stetson Bennett back. They reloaded. They've been recruiting like a beast. They are going to win that game handedly. I'm seeing them winning it by at least three touchdowns. So I got them covering and winning that game. Yeah, I, I like your pick. I think that Georgia uh, is the far superior team. And I'll add actually that I was I was on several occasions unimpressed with Oregon last year. I'm not even necessarily certain that they got much better, if at all. Uh, I think Georgia, you know, obviously is going to contend again for a national title. Uh, so I got the dogs winning and covering. Uh, let's move on to the, what I think is the most fascinating and difficult to pick matchup of the week, and that's Arkansas at home against number 23 Cincinnati. This is a ranked matchup. Uh, the Razorbacks are favored by six and a half. Who you got in this one? 
I'm going to go with Arkansas. I think that they win the game and they cover. When I did my preview on Swamp 247 earlier in the year, and you know this, when we went to Atlanta and did our SEC Media Day predictions, I went with K.J. Jefferson as the number two quarterback in the SEC, which I know was a little bit of a controversial choice, given obviously Bryce Young there at number one. You could make a case for Anthony Richardson. And then you got Hendon Hooker and, and Will Levis, you know. And then that's before even getting into the weeds and looking at guys like Spencer Rattler. I think that K.J. Jefferson is a much better quarterback than a lot of people give him credit for. I think Sam Pittman has been absolutely fantastic since he has been in Arkansas. I, I, I you know, a lot of credit to Cincinnati, what they did last year. You know, Fickle's a great coach, but I'm going to go with the SEC team here, the home field advantage, the red-hot quarterback. I think Arkansas upsets Cincinnati and covers. All right. I am going to also go with Arkansas to win the game, but I think Cincinnati keeps it within that six-and-a-half-point spread. So I'm going to go Razorbacks win. Uh, Cincinnati, the Bearcats, they cover – uh, let's keep on chugging. Number 21, Ole Miss, home team against Troy. Ole Miss favored by 21 and a half points. Who you got in this one? I am going to go with Ole Miss winning this game, but I'm going to switch it back up, and I'm going to go with Troy covering. You know, this has been a very good Troy program behind the scenes. They've recruited well. It's a tough area to recruit in also, but a whole lot of talent. I'm going to give Troy um, the nod here when it comes to covering. I don't think they have enough to, to beat uh, Ole Miss in, in Oxford, but I do think that this team is going to keep it close at times. I could see it being a, a close game until the very end there, and I'm going to go with Troy covering against uh, Ole Miss. Yeah, this is a this is a tough line. 21 and a half is a lot of points. Uh, I it do is. think that Ole Miss should win within that range. Uh, the challenge is, do I think that they're able to get to a 22-point or higher margin hesitantly i will say that they will i think that i think that ole miss wins this game by at least 22 points uh i don't feel great about the prediction uh but that's what we're going to lock in so ole miss win and cover uh if you're looking at the espn lineup you will notice that i'm about to skip florida utah we will always do florida's contest last so that brings us to number 20 kentucky at home against miami ohio uh kentucky favored by 16. i'm gonna go with kentucky winning that game. I don't think that's any surprise there, but I'm going to go ahead and make another bold prediction that, that Kentucky doesn't cover um, that Ohio covers that spread. And uh, yeah, give my, give Miami a lot of credit here. I, I think that they've been going head to head with Kentucky for a lot of recruits for a long time. There's certainly some familiarity there. It's going to be a well-traveled game by Miami, Ohio fans. I, I think that they will end up covering it. Now, certainly I do think that Kentucky's going to win this game by double digits, but I think that what 16 and a half is a little bit more than, than I think Kentucky is capable of doing right now, especially if they are missing several weapons. We know that Chris Rodriguez is going to be out of that game. He's going to have a multiple game suspension. And then yesterday, Kentucky coach Mark Stoops did come out and say that there's going to be multiple suspended players for that first game. We just don't know who they are yet. Given the uncertainties, given the first game of the season, the proximity to Miami, Ohio, I'm seeing them cover that game, even though I don't think it's indicative of any real concern for Kentucky. Florida fans shouldn't see this potential result line and sit here and think, oh, this is going to be a comfortable win against this Kentucky team. I, I think it really just may be indicative of where Miami is at and what Kentucky is currently dealing with. Yeah, I think that that was very well said, and that would have been exactly how I would have phrased it as well. 
Uh, I would normally probably pick Kentucky to cover a line like 16 in a game like this. I think that a lot of those absences could, uh, you know, it, it, when, whenever you have absences with key players, it shuffles the dynamic. And I think that that can mess with uh, your product. And I think that that will be the case here. I think also a lot of Florida fans who listen to our podcast would be delighted to know that I am not uh, one of Kentucky's buyers this year. I think that they, I picked them to finish under Florida in the SEC East. Uh, at fourth, I'm not convinced uh, they can prove me wrong, though. Uh, and for now, I will pick Miami, Ohio to cover the line of 16. Kentucky, though, uh, should come out victorious. Uh, this is a game without a line. Auburn, Mercer, they're playing in Auburn. I think uh, I think we're on the same page. I don't think we have to go over this. Unless, unless I'm wrong, unless you have Auburn losing this game to Mercer. <clears throat> if they do, Brian Harson's getting fired. There you go. Okay, so Auburn... Uh, wins. We're going to do another one with no line. So pick it straight up. It's Vanderbilt against Elon. Uh, as bad as Vanderbilt can be, we watched them beat the brakes off of Hawaii last week. Uh, this should be a comfortable win uh, for the Commodores, in my opinion. I'm certain you're you're with me. Where you at here? I'm with you. I actually Same like page. Vanderbilt more than a lot of people. I'm a big Clark Lee fan. I'm a big QB Wright fan. I, I think that they got a lot of talent. I like the way that they're going about kind of structuring their setup in Vanderbilt after an NFL franchise. I think that they're going to make up a lot of ground over the next few years. And maybe this is a crazy take when we sit back here and look and think that, you know, Vanderbilt's consistently been a doormat in the SEC. But I do think that they are continuing to improve. They're going to benefit from Lee and from the investment in the facilities that they're making. Um, I'm going that Vanderbilt wins this game pretty handedly. I'm not of the belief that they're going to um, just – struggle against teams of that caliber, knowing that they can often make things interesting in the SEC. There you go. Uh, yeah, I agree with that. This is another interesting one. Alabama, the number one team in the nation, is set to host Utah State. They are 41 and a half. Alabama is a 41 and a half point favorite. I think that line is huge. I will give you the floor first against a sneaky, decent, sneaky, maybe even good uh, Utah State team. Do you think Alabama still covers? Does it matter? I think they do cover. I think that Alabama covers. I think that Nick Saban has been showing a more relaxed off-season vibe than he's used to. And if I'm an opposing head coach, that makes me incredibly scared. I think that he has the best offensive and best defensive player in all of college football. And when you factor in that they just reap the rewards of the transfer portal and have continued to kill it on the recruiting trail, I think that one of the big questions with Alabama is the turnover on the coaching staff that has driven Nick Saban wild. His his coaches routinely are poached, go to better places. I think Florida fans obviously know this from the amount of assistants that have tried to beat him and failed to the fact that they now have one of their own who was there a decade ago with the Crimson Tide. I think that Alabama is going to smack Utah State. I could see them winning by 50. And the surprising thing about that is I have no doubt that Utah State could turn around and make it competitive with a lot of teams out there in Power 5 football. There you go. Uh, I will then use this as an opportunity to maybe get a leg up over you uh, in the against the spread category. I think that Utah State will do just well enough to stay within that 41.5 point line. Uh, this is not me saying that I think Utah State is in any way, shape, or form better than Alabama. Let's just be clear. Uh, I just think that Utah State isn't going to lose by 42. 
Uh, and if anything, it could even be a byproduct of Alabama, uh, maybe even getting some guys some playing time towards the end of the game. Uh, and it allows Utah State to either score or keep Alabama off the board. I just think that that's a big line to cover against a team that really is decent. Uh, Mississippi State, Memphis. Mississippi State is a 16 point favorite. They are the home team. Where are you headed? I'm going to go with Mississippi State winning that game, but I'm going to say Memphis covers. Uh, and I will keep it fast as you did. I agree. I think Mississippi State wins, does not cover. Uh, South Carolina taking on Georgia State. I'm a little surprised to see that South Carolina is just a 12 and a half point favorite. I thought it would be at least slightly larger than that. Uh, I think this is easy money. I think that if you uh, want to make some cash uh, this weekend with some college football action, this is probably one of the places you should go. Uh, and I guess that that gives away my pick before I even go to you. But I, I have South Carolina winning and covering this game. No problem. Yeah, that line makes me pause a little bit because, you know, the saying Vegas isn't wrong. Um, I, I just am a little bit surprised that a team and maybe this is me sitting here a little bit humbled after seeing South Carolina um, make all of us look incredibly wrong last year when they beat Florida 40 to 17. And now they add a five star quarterback. Shane Beamer's more comfortable. They have benefited from having a winning season. You name it. Yeah, I'm a little bit surprised that they are less than a two touchdown favorite against Georgia state. With that being said, I'm going to let Vegas potentially fool me this time. I am going to go with South Carolina winning, but I don't think they cover. Okay. So maybe it's not free money. Maybe it's not as easy as people thought, or as, as I made it seem, uh, I will stick with what I said though. I think South Carolina covers this game. Here's another one that I think, uh, people could, could benefit off of. This is, and I'll do this weekly. This is my pick of the week. So uh, if I were gambling on college football, I would almost certainly put money uh, on LSU to beat Florida State, LSU minus three. I think that that is a, a, a good place to be. Uh, I will let you offer your explanation first, and then I will circle back. Yeah, uh, LSU is going to beat the school out west. Um, no surprise there. All right, well, then I will uh, I will add this. I think that Florida State is in a lot of trouble this year. Uh, I think that's a program that it's no secret at this point is is kind of in a state of uh, trying to figure out what's next and and determining what the future might look like. And I think a lot of that rides on the shoulders of this season. Uh, and that being said, I I don't think it gets off to a terribly promising start. Uh, I think that and I think LSU uh, handles business here, especially with a line of just my, uh, minus three for the Tigers. I think that they should handle that quite easily. Uh, and therefore, it is my pick of the week. And without further ado, uh, we go back to a game that has been in major contention. Uh, both fan bases think that they are going to win this game. And it's not just the kind of thing where it's like, uh, you know, I'm a fan of this team, so I'm picking them. No, this is this is some deeply rooted, passionate stuff uh, where people think Utah is overrated. Uh, people think Utah is underrated. There's a whole argument going on here. Graham, uh, I will ask you this. It's Utah minus three. Obviously, game is in Gainesville at 7 p.m. this Saturday, Eastern time. Uh, give me who you think wins the game uh, and a score prediction rather than the win and cover. Obviously, that will take care of that response for you. Yeah, a, a month ago, I went Utah winning by double digits. And as we've gained more perspective of both teams, I, I do think that this is going to be a lot closer game than many people when they look at the rankings would predict it to be. And I think that that line is really, you know, a good indicator of that. I do still think that Utah wins a, this game. I am picking them to win and I am picking them to cover, 
but I don't think it's going to be a double digit defeat that I initially saw it as being. I do think that the humidity is going to be a factor. If Florida can establish the run, everything combined, I could see them wearing down this Utah defense here as they get into the second half. And I do think that that will allow this for a, a close margin throughout the game, but Everything Utah has, what they're coming off of, the consistency, a guy who's been there as head coach for nearly two decades, a lot of that stuff is tough to overcome in your debut. I think if you're a Florida fan and you keep this game close, it's hard to really be discouraged by that, the amount of progress that you've shown in such a short amount of time, even if it doesn't reflect in the win-loss column. It's not a positive result for you. I do think that Utah wins, but it's going to be a close game. And, and there's easily a way that you could come away with the perspective that it was an impressive performance by Florida, even if they lose the game. Utah has to pull out all the stops. Yeah, I, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say what's up to the, uh, to the subscribe to the good people of Swamp247's message board, who I have actually been engaging with as we are recording this podcast. Uh, I've, I have been uh, talking with a couple people in the thread uh, about this game, about my score prediction. People are seemingly curious about uh, a comment I made yesterday where I basically said that anybody who's sleeping on this Utah team is making a mistake. And people have since become very curious where I'm headed with my score prediction uh, for this game. So here it is. I'm just going to go right off the bat. Uh, and then I'll explain after. I have Utah winning this game 35-27, so an eight-point margin, which would mean that the Utes cover that line of minus three. Uh, and here's why. I think that this is a very challenging first matchup for a coaching debut, for the debut of players playing within a new defensive scheme, even if it has similarities to what they ran last year. This is a new offense. There are new weapons on the team for this offense, including Anthony Richardson, who's making just his second start ever. There are a lot of moving parts. This is also a team, need I remind you, that had some discipline problems last year that directly affected the outcome of games. The players have not shied away in admitting that in any capacity in the lead-up to this campaign. And the reality is, is that there are a lot of the same players from that team last year that struggled with discipline who will be out on the field in major contributing capacities on Saturday when Florida takes on Utah. I'm not saying that Billy Napier hasn't done a tremendous amount of work to try and correct some of those things. And as a matter of fact, I think he absolutely has and has done so successfully. But I still worry that a team that is really trying to figure some stuff out, and it's just the way that it works. That is the reality that I think a lot of Florida fans have not yet accepted, and that's normal. But the reality is, is that as a team tries to figure stuff out, it becomes very difficult to beat an opponent like Utah where a lot of those boxes are checked. They know what they're getting out of their quarterback. You know what you're getting out of your defense. The discipline is not really a question. Sure, there are spaces on the field where they're replacing talent that they lost. Uh, it's a lot of new faces on the defensive side of the ball. There are questions about the size of some of Utah's players and whether or not they're going to be able to contend with an SEC body like the ones Florida has. And I think all of those things are very legitimate. I just don't think that it lends itself to Florida coming away with a win over a team like Utah. So there you have it. People asked for my explanation as to why I thought Utah would win this game. That is it at length. Uh, let me know what you think about it. If you think I'm crazy, tell me. It doesn't hurt my feelings. Let me know in the comment section of the YouTube video or hop on over to swamp247.com. We've got a message board with plenty of threads for you to tell me that you disagree with my opinion. 
I'll take it on the chin. I can handle it. Uh, let me know. Uh, and with that, Graham, I think that does it for this episode of the Swamp 247 podcast. Uh, an extensive preview of the game between number seven, Utah, and Florida set to take place on Saturday at 7 p.m. from the Swamp. Uh, and with that, I'll leave you with the same message I do every time, and that is to make sure that you are keeping tabs on our YouTube page, uh, Spotify, or other audio-only platforms if that's what you utilize. Head on over to swamp247.com, not only for that message board, uh, but we do have plenty of content going up there on a daily basis, uh, written content, you know, previewing the game, uh, recapping Florida's uh, fall camp. There's all of it, and we would encourage you to go on over and give it a look. Uh, and, and that'll do it for this episode of the Swamp 247 Podcast. Again, my name is Jacob Rudner, alongside Graham Hall, and we will talk to you after the game. Again, Florida taking on Utah this Saturday, 7 p.m. from the Swamp. We will talk to you soon. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.